Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike, and I'm joined as always by the president of memes of Jets Twitter. It's NYJ Matt. We are back, episode 12. The Jets have fallen to 0-6 following a 24-0 loss in Miami to the Dolphins. We're going to do a full recap of that, but first we have an interview lined up with Joe Blewett from Jets X Factor. So we're going to turn over to that interview now. All right, we're going to welcome on a very special guest. He is the host of the Blewett's, uh, of, of Blewett's Blitz for JetsXFactor.com. He has more followers on Twitter than any Jets quarterback has thrown for yards in a season. It's the wow. exalted Joe Blewett. We're very excited to have him on. What's up, guys? Yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited to, to join you guys. You guys have been uh, quite a popular podcast through so, uh, so few episodes. So that's, that's a positive for you guys. So keep killing. I'm excited to join you guys. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, we, we like to have some serious questions based on facts, but then we have some fun ones as well. So the first one we have for you, if you were a quarterback of an NFL team and you had the best O-line, running backs, wide receivers, defense, coaching staff, so the entire organization is the best it could possibly be, but you're the quarterback, what would your record be in a 16-game NFL season? Do I play the Jets or am I in the Jets division? <laughs> let's say let's say you're in the Jets division. You have a regular NFL schedule. All right, so that's at least two wins. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with three because you're gonna beat the Jets twice because they they can't stop anything on defense and then one lucky win um, because unfortunately for me a quarterback I'm not gonna be able to uh, read a defense or, or throw a ball uh, versus a NFL defense. So you know that you one team. You- you have all the knowledge. You have all of the, the uh, breakdown knowledge. Yeah, but unfortunately, I'm not 6'4", 250 <laughs> pounds. that can throw a 50-yard missile. So, you know, uh, and it's easier to do on film where you can rewind it, replay it 100 times. But uh, in a span of three seconds going against Patrick Peterson, it's a little bit different. So I'm going to go with three wins, but those two wins definitely beat the Jets them in the Jets division because they're that obviously down. just terrible. Three and 13. That's, that's still, you know, you win three NFL games. So I'll guys. take it. <laughs> it's better. It's better than Joe Flacco and the Jets right now. So yeah, it's a fact. All right, Joe, you're you're a, you're a big film guy. You ever have uh, ever have any film breakdowns with with the ladies after a nice night? <laughs> um, not that I share. No, I, I I might have I might have dabbled in it a little bit. Quickly deleted it after, but you know I've I've dabbled. Bro, that's hilarious. Imagine like going out like after be like, all right, so we're going to break this down here. Like five minutes in, like had the out route, didn't go for it. Just like full on breakdown mode. Yeah. Dude, that, that, that's all time. Yeah. But, you know, could have went on my tippy toes there, you know, we could go with a lot of stuff there, that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We got another one for you. Cross country road trip. You're the driver in the back seat. You have Gase and Dowell Loggins talking about X's nose and their offense. Or Brian Koz and Manish Mehta talking about their next clickbait article headlines. Which would you rather? God. Uh, <laughs> well, honestly, like the thing, if, if the, the realistic way of looking about this is like, to be fair, and I, I forget which one of uh, which one of it uh, of you it was that tweeted me and said like, oh, like it was you know funny in the podcast when you talk about how you're not better than Jordan Willis or faster than Jordan Willis, yeah. whatever one of you who said that. 
So, and realistically, they're great coach. Like they're 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 not great. I don't want everyone to say great and Adam Gase in the same sentence, but they are still good coaches where I can still learn stuff from them. Mm-hmm. So definitely that. But obviously, at an NFL level, they're the worst in the NFL. But I think realistically, yeah, I can learn stuff from Gase. Like that that goes without saying. So I'm gonna have to say that because the the headline articles, the Brian Cos, the Manish Metas, I couldn't give two f's less i don't care about any of that stuff I, I i don't i don't go on twitter for that stuff that's why i follow like 80 people because those guys are complete jokes i think that's where i kind of land, had you landing on that answer it's great though i could just imagine you driving and and gates and dower going through their offense and second and long what's the strategy you're trying to be creative run up the middle and just seeing you drive <laughs> off the road once once you get to kansas um, well, that that could happen too, but I would say from like an actual schematic standpoint, like oh this this uh, this sale concept with this wrinkle in it versus cover three, you mm-hmm. know, like and then we might argue about okay, well why don't you ever do that? And you're running Gase up or you're running Gore up the middle on second and twenty four when you're down three touchdowns, you know. So it might get a little bit hectic, but I think from an actual football standpoint, I might be able to learn at least something. I hope. I yeah, mean, definitely. if Gase even would speak to you, we haven't really seen many clips of Adam Gase on the sideline interacting with anybody except his laminated play sheet. So we were trying to figure out, Matt and I, before the podcast, some things that could potentially be on that sheet. I doubt there's anything but maybe like a second and 10 dive. We were thinking maybe there's like a, like a, a gif of his son solving a Rubik's Cube for the first time. Like every time he looks at the sheet, he looks like he's the most surprised human being on earth. Is there anything that you could think of that could potentially be on that sheet? And it's, and it's so interesting, too, because it's not like Mike McCarthy. Like people, you know, his, his job's coming up for, uh, like, question right now, too. And they said if, that if Mike McCarthy was the old Mike McCarthy who tried, he might be like Matt LaFleur is now. But he's done trying at this point. Where Adam Gase is, like, one of those, like, grizzled old guys with a beard because he apparently only sleeps four hours and likes to be studying film. But, like, what is he watching? I, I, I don't get it. Like, we, we see things. Like, there's people who have never played a down of football in their life or never studied film and are calling out his plays on, on second down. It's, it's, it, is, it is absolutely crazy right now. No, I, yeah, I mean, but going back to Mike McCarthy, there's something that interests me a lot is, you know, the NFL is not an excuse league, but at what point does a coach get saddled with too much adversity that when they start off two and four, it becomes a little bit of, all right, let's take a step back. For example, Mike McCarthy's Cowboys, Doug Peterson's Eagles, like, if your whole offense is out, what, at what point does it become, okay, maybe we need to take a step back and be like, Mike McCarthy's not the worst head coach in football. He just – the whole offense line is hurt. I, I think it's relative to expectations, and you have to be realistic. I, you know, I think a lot of people just in NFL circles in general, especially fans, think of things as, as too white or too white versus black, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a clearly big gray area. So, uh, you know, we can get into this with Donald stuff. We can get into this with coaching. Obviously – you know, if there's plays to be called or situations you can adjust to that are right there on film, then, yeah, I'm going to blame you more than, okay, well, you have a quarterback and any adult who just can't make the throws versus a guy like Dak Prescott. So it's all it's all situational um, on what you're expecting out of out of that coach. Like there's games, you know, coming up in the Jets, the Jets uh, season, you know, versus the Chiefs, like teams like that. Like, yeah, okay, if the Jets lost 41 to, to 20 and they actually put up a fight, Relative to expectations, that's pretty good for a coach who has a barren roster and maybe just like the Ravens game point. last year on Thursday. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then getting blown out versus the Dolphins is a completely different story. So it's all relative to expectations and what you can actually expect. Um, that's a really deep topic, depending on on those guys. I just know that 
uh, a guy in McCarthy was a guy who I know a lot of Jets fans were high on. I know I wasn't personally high on him. I think he actually underachieved uh, with having a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And there's a lot of isolation reps where he just let talent take over. So um, it's not a surprise to see him struggling right now, to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good call out. Um, we, we talk about this a lot. Uh, we go back and obviously the all 22 films since 2009, you can go back and look at each game. Uh, you know, Mike and I rewatched, I think it was 2009 to 2012 early on in the pandemic. Cause we were so goddamn bored. When you look back and do your breakdowns, is there any specific jets player that you wish you could have the all 22 film on to do like a full breakdown on their career or their specific season? Oh, yeah, and, and that I was going to kind of not combat what you said because I know you can watch on broadcast, but Revis's season in 2009-2010, you cannot watch the actual all it's 22 2011, right? It comes, I think. Yeah, I, I, so I started doing like film breakdowns like in 2016-17 where I started like studying that stuff, but I know that recently, especially like you, you, like you guys said, you know, especially with the Jets off seasons and how bad they are, I'm looking for things to do, and I wanted to break down those seasons, and I'm not able to, so – that's the really disappointing thing because obviously he's the best player in franchise history. Um, and, you know, within the last 10 years, and I can't break down his film, which is really disappointing because obviously he's, uh, he's probably the best corner of all time, if not top three. So. Yeah. So that's... 2009 Revis. I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the year. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. You want to see how he shut down, you know, Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson and, all those guys. I think it's like Marquise Colson was on that list too. The only guy he got roasted by was a guy from the Bills. Ted Ginn. Uh, yeah, uh, Ted Ginn was on the list. But who was the guy? Was it like Stevie Johnson? Oh, Stevie I think, Johnson the always gave him a problem. I don't know if that was 2009, but Stevie Johnson always did give him problems. And then he did the plastic yeah, so, the celebration where he pretended to shoot himself. So that, yeah, might, that, that was probably 2011 if I were to surmise. <laughs> yeah, that that might have been a pure thing. Where, like Revis was always great technically, but he wasn't an overall like he wasn't like Patrick Peterson type athlete. So I think Johnson was, was the best just pure athlete. So this might have been why he struggled. But again, I would like to go back and watch, but unfortunately, I can't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So to get into the Darnold stuff now, um, I think Jets Twitter right now is in a weird mindset where if you are pro Darnold, the Trevor Lawrence simps come attack you, and if you're pro Trevor Lawrence everyone who's defends Sam Darnold comes and attacks you. And I don't think there's enough rational thought and some good dialogue to be had. And I think it's a lot of just, you have to take Trevor Lawrence, you have to stick with Darnold. And I think we might have different views, but I think it's good to, to have fact-based opinions and we might agree to disagree, but it's always good for a good dialogue. So what I wanted to start off and, and ask you, Joe, is with 10 games left, you know, Sam Darnold might not play this week, so say it would be nine if Sam plays well those nine games and maybe they go three and six or two and seven, but in your breakdowns, you look at it and you're saying, oh, Sam's showing a lot of positive trends here. He's playing well in spite of Gase, a poor line, no weapons around him, no running game. In that event that you do those breakdowns and Darnold plays well, if the Jets get the number one pick, is there an argument to be made to trade that for three first, two seconds or whatever the going rate would be? Or in your mind, if the Jets get number one, is it Lawrence or bust? Yeah, I will one if they win three games or so and Donald's in, I don't think they're going to get the first pick, especially when you look at all the teams as one wins right now or one win uh, right now. Um, and this is a loaded topic. I'm, uh, I'm sure you guys don't have two hours to talk about the whole Donald <laughs> thing, but it's, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure. Like I said, and if literally, if you guys are ever on a day where you don't have anything to do and I can just come on and, and show you a bunch of, uh, 
a film clip. So I'm talking about, cause I know you guys said you watch the shows or one of you guys watches the show. So I, I break all this stuff down, but um, in a situation where the jets get the first overall pick, I don't think Donald played well enough um, to secure that spot because my thing with Donald is, and I think he has the potential to become that, you know, air quotes, Ryan Tannehill that everybody talks about, even though Ryan Tannehill threw like nine passes in the playoff games, each, each one of the playoff games. So there's a lot of the running game and defense that carried that team, not really Tannehill, but I, I get the, the point of the whole Tannehill thing because people do get better, but there are plenty of plays that I, that I show that I have sent you guys that I put up on Twitter of Donald just not making the play. People will say, Oh, well, yeah, he's running five yards wide open, but he doesn't trust that receiver to catch that ball. That's, that's not what's happening. So he has, um, regressed in, in certain areas to me. You know, his, his feet through his reads, his footwork during his throws. He was a guy in his first year at USC who nine out of ten throws he, he would make with bad footwork. But now it seems like it's like, you know, every other throw he's missing uh, because of bad footwork, whether it be throwing behind Herman, throwing over uh, Hogan on a, uh, on a Yankee concept the other day or the other game against the – uh, Broncos, I, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think time, he, yeah. I, I, he's he's hesitating. The, those the plays I put up of the first game where you see the whole Baldy breakdowns everybody loves, which I don't love as much. Um, Crowder streaking, or, yeah, cr- yeah, exactly. Uh, Crowder <laughs> streaking down the, I, I think it's yeah, Crowder streaking down the sideline. He sees Crowder, yeah. doesn't throw the ball, runs out of bounds, takes a sack. Well, that was um, hard. That was another, that was the worst one in my opinion. But that another. Another play right in the Colts game, same situation. He does a great job mm-hmm. getting out of the pocket. He steps up, avoids a guy from his right. Another guy's crashing down through the A or B gap. He rolls out to the right, sees Herndon streaking wide open down the sideline, doesn't throw the ball. Why? So the regression is is a huge question mark for me right now. And if you can reset the clock, and I know people will say that Donald was the Trevor Lawrence coming out. If, Tre- if Donald was that Trevor Lawrence prospect coming out, he wouldn't have been picked at number three overall. So, yes, he was highly touted. He's not as highly touted as Trevor Lawrence um, was. So, Trevor Lawrence is the, the Peyton Manning's types uh, coming out, Andrew Luck, where he's not going to be stepped on at number one no matter what. Even if there was a boast there, whatever, like teams are going to trade up to one just to make sure they, they get him. So um, if, if the argument was Donald versus Lawrence and it was Donald coming out, like if it was Donald after year one, Maybe even year two, then then yeah, trade trade those picks, build around Donald. But my problem is he's he's regressed for even from even from last year he's regressed where he's had you know five games and four of them have been really bad. The Bills game, the Colts game were really bad. And yes, this is relative to expectations. Again, nothing is black and white. There is definitely a lot of gray that people do not dive into, mm-hmm. um, which I try to. And there's plays where and I'll put it up, Donald. No, there's nothing open yet. He's scrambling and all this and all these things that you have to account for. But then there's also the play versus the Broncos game where he gets hurt. Where I'm sure a lot of people on the broadcast said, "Oh, nobody is open. He got sacked. He got hurt. Look what the Jets did to him." When in reality, after that play action, he drops back. Cager is wide open with nobody within five to ten yards of him on a dig route. He pulls the ball, and you can clearly see on film him look at it, look at Cager, and he doesn't release the ball. So. Um, he has, he has regressed, and like I said, that's part, and we can get into the whole conversation of why has he regressed. Is it the coaching? Yes. Is it the roster around him? Yes. But the point being is that, that he has regressed, regardless of what it is around him. So 2018 rookie year Donald versus 2020 uh, Donald is, is a different Donald. So you have to consider what you're getting now, and then with that, you're also going to have to sign Donald to a contract extension um, in, in the next year or two. And, and I know he's not going to get as, as big of money as some of the top guys will, but it's still a large chunk of money. And quarterbacks who have won in their second contract in the last like, 20 years, I believe it's only like five guys. Um, big Ben, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, 
uh, Tom Brady, and there's another one in there that I'm missing off the top of my head. What's Anyone the who's a veteran, team? yeah. What's the common – yeah, but what's the common denominator of all those quarterbacks in their prime? They were all elite quarterbacks. And with that, you have the guys – in terms of, like, statistically-wise, the guys who have had as bad of stats, regardless of the situation that they were in, as Donald and have turned around to be top – you know, more top-tier quarterbacks. has been Alex Smith and argue top-tier versus not with him, and Drew Brees. So you're betting – on Donald turning it around to be an elite quarterback to skip on a guy like Lawrence, which I, I would bank on Donald becoming good, but I, am, I, am I banking on him to become one of those prime Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees type of guys to, 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 uh, to win that Super Bowl, especially considering that you're, you're passing on a guy like Lawrence? I, I, can't, I just can't do that at this point. And like I said, mm-hmm. is there a big chance that he becomes average good? I, I think there is. Um, if you can, if you can hammer out some of those problems, the thing is with, with his feet, with his panic, with his, with the way he panics in the pocket, he, his foot, his feet don't go through the reads like they, like they used to, um, the pre-snap recognition, the play in the Broncos game, you know, he's looking right pre-snap. There's a, there's a safety overhanging his two man route concept on the right. His eyes are stuck right the entire time where you think pre-snap. Okay. There's an overhang safety. You know, even if Gase is not allowing me to read left to right first and I can't change that to snap, I have to at least know to read right quick, then go left because there's that safety overhang and, no- and nothing's open. And if you looked left on that play, you had uh, Crowder who's wide open on a jerk route, and then you had the slot, I believe it's a slot or number one, who's open on a corner. So there's a lot of problems with him right now that he did not have the, the first year, and especially the ones like that you guys said, you know, with Crowder shrinking up the sideline, with, with Herndon, those throws – that he would have made, like undoubtedly would have made his rookie year, especially you look at the Texans game, Packers game, um, that he's not making. And those things are easy to say, okay, just shake it, you know, better coaching will fix that. But not a lot of guys do that. It's just, it's just, it's just not very common. So Mm -hmm. um, very loaded. It's a loaded question that we can go into so many different directions with that, but that's kind of like my baseline scrambled up uh, ranting and weird directions kind of thoughts. Yeah. It's a very good answer. And all right, it is very loaded, but I, I, I will respond to each part of what you said. I, the one thing I'll say is that two things. First, to say that the Jets should draft Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is incredible and not a knock on Darnold is like, okay. Like if that's the reasoning, and, and then if the worst case scenario, in my opinion, like in my eyes, like the word, quote unquote, the worst case scenario is we take Trevor Lawrence is not a bad thing. Two, and this is part of Matt's point, is that I just think it's a little bit too early with Sam um, this year. But let me let me go into some mm-hmm. specifics. So, so before you before you yeah, do that, before you please. go into specifics, you're saying you're saying in terms of Sam, you're not sure, and that's that's the problem for me. Where I laid it out is for Sam to be the quarterback and skipping on a guy like Lawrence, which I think more than half of the league would take Lawrence their number one pick. Mm-hmm. You have to. There, it's not doubt. Versus, oh, could this happen? You have to be absolutely sure that Donald is that guy because if he's not that guy and you skip on Lawrence and Lawrence is as good as those top guys and you have to pay Donald, you're going to look like an absolute fool. So it's not could he be. It's, he has to show that undoubtedly he is, even, even with the circumstances around him, which I consider. I don't just go to Google, okay, 21 for 32, two picks and a, and a touchdown. Like that's, that's not what I do, you know, so – um, that's my argument is you have to be 1000% sure to skip on a prospect like Lawrence that Donald is the guy, which I don't think anybody could say um, right now. 
And before Mike goes into his later points, I think what he wanted to get at too is we're not saying it's too early in his career. We're saying it's too early in this specific season. So the season's been a quarter of the, the way done for Darnold. He's played four games. I want everyone on Jets Twitter to breathe and let a few more games play out. Darnold can do great things against these playoff teams he's facing in the next few weeks. I think we can rationally say in week 15, 16, 17, we can start making better judgments on if Darnold has done enough in year three. But to me and Mike's point, I think we would like a deep mm-hmm. breath because this these back page stories and these immediate like Trevor Lawrence and Darnold's ears, I don't think it's helping him. I think it's going to make him press more in games. And I think we, I think if we want to wait like seven, eight more weeks, and then we can say me and Mike might agree with everything you're saying and, and say, look, Darnold with, with a healthy Becton with healthy Mims coming back, he just didn't excel enough. And, and we understand why Lawrence is a play at one, but I think Mike is going to go probably further into that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. G- give me, Look, so what you evaluated based on is is and and Joe breaks down the film of every game he does. Go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitter. Jets X Factor. Blue it's uh, blue it's breakdowns. Blue it's blue it's blitz. Um, it's fantastic, and and I uh, something I look forward to every week. Um, for and he does it for all, not just Sam Darnold, but for you know most of the positions on the Jets and offense and defense. And um, but the thing with Sam is Sam before the season. People said Sam Darnold is the savior of the Jets. He passed the eye test. He elevated a mediocre roster last year to a seven and six record. You can argue whatever you want. They played shit teams, you know, weird schedule. He went seven and six with essentially a very similar roster, uh, one of the historically bad offensive lines of all time, and with what people regard as the worst coach in football. So this year, if you go into this year with that mindset, and then watch him play four games with sixth, seventh, and eighth string receivers, literally, because you have Perryman, Crowder, Mims, and both Smiths, Vincent and Jeff, are all out. So you're playing with, you know, Braxton Barrios, Chris Hogan, Lawrence Cager, Josh Malone. Combine that with your Hall of Fame running back is out, Le'Veon Bell. Chris Herndon is a shell of himself. And, and then this is, you know, there's just no continuity. So when I say, you know, oh, you know, because you could say Darn looks horrible in this play. I can make an excuse for it. But to Matt's point before is if Darnold plays poorly when everyone comes back, if he has Fant and Becton protecting him, if he has Mims, Crowder, Perryman, everyone on the field has a fair shake, has some time to throw the ball and still looks terrible at the end of the year. I'm not going to say this, but right now, um, and and we're still trying to evaluate and the front office is not giving Sam a, a fair shake at his evaluation. You know, the guy is supposed to be our savior, the youngest starting quarterback in the league, and it's very frustrating. So I want to see what Sam can do in that situation with a regular team. And in that case, I think, and if Sam plays the way that I think he can play from what I've seen in the past, uh, you know, and, and some of the things that you said before, like when Sam is not making those throws when he's scrambling out and he has Crowder streaking down the sideline when he has Hernan streaking down, I'm less upset about that because I know he has that innate escapability in him. I'm more concerned with, with his reading of the defense, with his pre-snap reads. And what I think will, will change that is a normal situation, a normal coach, a normal running game behind him. Nothing is easy for Sam. Sam has had two 100-yard rushers behind him in his career in three years. If you give Sam some kind of a running game, you get the play action going, you have a nice easy throw to Herndon, you have a rollout, a boot, something that works. 
it's there's it's not like there's one thing that's against Sam because we could watch we could watch a breakdown of a game and we could say, hey, look, Sam missed this guy, Sam missed that guy, but nothing is there's no continuity there's nothing easy no receiver makes there's been one play this year where i remember a receiver making a brilliant catch and that's jameson crowder uh with the catch two weeks ago uh down the left sideline he had like a 34 yard catch that was a gorgeous play it's there's there's nothing to support the guy um so at and then to counter your point about the money Sam Darnold, if, if you pay him, like you said, you're going to pay him less money than you would uh, a normal starting quarterback. He's not going to get $30 million a year. And the guys that you draft, let's say you trade the pick, the first pick for a King's ransom, you get, uh, you get a right tackle, you get Sewell from Oregon, you get Jamar Chase, you know, you get one of those two guys, you get a guy at 25, a guy at 31, you have three first round picks. The money that you save from paying those, pl- from paying those positions in free agency, you're paying Sam anyway, you probably come out on top uh, financially as well. I don't think it's going to be as much of a financial difference as everyone says. And if Trevor Lawrence goes first, he's going to make a lot of money too uh, with the first, the first round slot. No. Yes. Okay. So there's like, yeah, there's a couple of points. It's in a there, lot to break know, down. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, <laughs> and breakdown. I, yeah. And again, so the thing with like, you're talking about the roster and the guys he was throwing to again, that's, that's more like the black and white thing. I'm looking at the gray area where, okay, regardless of who it is, you know, Lawrence Cager being undrafted, you know, open five yards over, over the middle on a dig route, 15 yards down the field for an easy first down. But you know, Joe, that's open. my point. My point you, is that you, it's not just that. It's, it's a perfect storm of shit. So yeah, okay, Sam is yeah, yeah. not only dealing with yep. six string receivers, like a, like a quarterback in a, like 2018 Sam would probably overcome that. Because even like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Jeremy Bates was the play caller. was pretty good. That year he was okay. It's that plus the worst coach – Plus George Fant and Becton not playing a lot of the snaps that Darnold's playing. Plus the playing behind the worst offensive line last year, you know, made him a little bit jittery. And mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. It's like, if, if that has permanently damaged him, then yeah. And if it's a question, you can't pass the hall of fame prospect, but you have to let the, like, you have to see what he does. You know, this has been, this has been going on since week two. We've been talking about this that, Oh, Hey, you know, after the Bills game, it's like tank for Trevor. I mean, you have your guy who's the young guy. It's a perfect storm of shit. I want to see him play in a scenario where it's not everything is horrible. Not everything. Give him something. Give him some protection, some receivers. And then let's see if maybe he could make that perfect throw to, to Lawrence Cager. Look at Kyler Murray last night. He was garbage. He was what, like 9 for 25? They won 38 to 10. So Sam has to be perfect in these situations. We're, I think we're overanalyzing a little bit. You know, some of these things yeah, don't so, have to be perfect. So, yeah, so again, it, a lot there. Um, and the benefit is of this is that we do have the rest of the season. So for the people who are saying it after week two, that that's foolish. But I, I think based on his current trajectory of what how he played four to five games, even five out of five games, because people like to say that the, the Niners game was great, but it, it was really just okay well, in terms of what games. he's done um, in the past. What, four games? Oh, yeah, okay. He has yeah. like four games. They're 0-6. Okay, so – Three of the four games were bad, and the and the other one was was all right, kind of, but like it really wasn't great. And like you said, with the receivers he has, the the the, the shit storm. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can curse on here, but the yeah, you, you can say whatever you want. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, so no, there you go. So like, if we're if we're arguing rosters, and, and if you're if we're arguing the who, what, when, where, why, 
kind of like like details, which is what we can get into for like I said, two hours. Um, yes, the 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 twenty twenty team around him is not good. Neither was the twenty was a twenty uh, eighteen team where the offensive line was worse, but maybe the receivers were were you could argue better, which I don't think he really can. Cause he had Jermaine Curse who didn't go for that ball versus the Texans. He oh, had he so bad that uh, he had he had Herndon who I think has been overrated by Jets fans even since his rookie year. I have I have receipts of my of saying that. He had Deontay, Deontay Burnett and Andre Roberts as his starting receivers <laughs> against the Bears. So, like, yeah, he, he's been in bad situations before, but that was the magical thing about him at USC. That was the magical thing about him in 2018, that he was able to overcome that and show those flashes where the flashes started to become less and less. And like you said, you know, with, with oh, he, you, know, you know it's there, but the problem is that some of those things in terms of his throws and, and the balls he has to throw you know, balls over guys' head on the run, that stuff dissipates. It goes by the, the, the Texans ruined, ruined David Carr because he started getting happy feet. And you see Donald with happy feet um, already. And 2018, with a worse offensive line, because regardless of what people say about the, the offensive line this year, is it good? No. Is it a lot better than last year when, when you know, the first couple of games with Beckton, with Fant, um, with McGovern? Yes. Easily, it was, it was much better. There's plenty of throws out there, you know, that I've put up, that people have put out of, of him you know, clean pockets and still having terrible footwork or not transitioning his eyes and his feet through his reads. Obviously, when you go through your reads, you want your foot pointed, you want your eyes pointed, you want your shoulders pointed. So if you do have to fire the ball, you can get rid of it with proper mechanics. He goes, his eyes are flashing back and forth, really uh, like kind of like not sketchily, but really just not smoothly, no not fluidly like they, like they should. Um, so his body isn't ready to throw balls and you see him missing balls behind. So again, we can argue the who, what, when, where, why, and why they ruined him. I'm just looking at what he was to what he is now and he has regressed it's it's undoubtedly that he has regressed and like like i said we have the benefit of the rest of the season to examine him but i said in the beginning of the season he needs to have a bunch of good games and again it's not just statistically i'm not just looking at stats i love nania but that's not what i do i'm looking at his surrounding situations so there's plays where i put up of okay arnold got sacked there's nowhere and happened yes understand those is also in 50 plays that game the Colts game where guys could have made a better play and he he takes a sack there's a one play in the Colts game where Braxton Barrios is is pointing out a potential cat blitz which is the corner blitz from the side that he was on and he's pointing out he's pointing out the the DB before the snap Donald rolls out play action and that DB blitzes and you have Barrios who's wide open and for whatever reason he's looking that way he does not throw the ball to Barrios so he's like so gun shy at times but then he also has the moments of him throwing the ball over the middle, floating it to Crowder, and it gets picked off by a linebacker or, or, or safety, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And again, like I've like like I, I was having a conversation um, with Mike, I believe, and I was saying, you know, listen to preface this conversation. I I when Donald came out, I, again receipts that the positive thing that podcast YouTube. I said I thought he could be a top five quarterback after his first year. I said on a podcast that I'm worried about what happens ten to twelve years down the, down the road. When Donald's not on the Jets, I thought he was that guy. So regardless of how, you know, and we all know how we got here. Uh, McCagnan, is it not, you know, they're, they're, they're roster around him. Terrible coaching right now. Um, but I'm looking at what I want him to do regardless of the situation. And, and, he, and he's not doing it or and not even close to doing it. So, yes, we have the benefit of the rest of the season. You know, guys like Perriman, for regardless of how bad you think he is, he was open three times deep. 
the one time's a little bit of miscommunication. No, with, I like uh, Perman. I'm happy with he's Flacco. Back and, you know. So so yeah, you have to take into effect the weapons. Like yeah, okay. If if the argument is oh well, Cager's Cager's five yards open and and he doesn't hit him. Okay, what's the difference between Cager being wide open? you know, uh, five yards or, or Juju Smith. There's really none. But now if the argument is, okay, well, he has nobody to go to in the red zone where Juju Smith – well, maybe Juju Smith's not the best example. Let's say Julio Jones. Julio Jones yeah. in the red zone. Okay. Yeah, well, actually, he doesn't catch touchdowns, right? People in fantasy know that. Let's go to somebody else. No, I'm <laughs> saying – like, like, okay, for, 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 for first down, uh, you can throw the ball up to Julio Jones um, and you have that trust. So I get that argument. When guys are open, they're open. He's not hitting them. He's not reading defenses pre-snap, post-snap. There's a play, and, and again, I don't know if you guys watched the, the, the Broncos breakdown I did. There's a yeah. play where they where – they, he runs two identical concepts. The defense plays out the same exact way. First time, hits the curl, gets 10 yards. Next time, for whatever un, unforsaken reason, he goes to the flat and he actually under he, – uh, he misthrows the flat because of, because of bad footwork because his footwork is absolutely awful. So, like, there's just so many blips in the radar that, again – it's not. It's not. Could he come back? Because I think he could come back from it and be a good player. But it's it for me to skip on Lawrence, which if it is one and based on the trajectory that the Jets are on now with the schedule remaining, I think there's only you know two, three winnable games that, that people would agree on, which is maybe the Raiders, because the Raiders always seem to be like okay, and then the blow it versus the Jets, the Dolphins again, who just shut us out, and the Chargers who just compete, who compete with the Chiefs and things like that. So based on the trajectory now, that's what people are thinking about about Lawrence, and obviously as Jets fans when you watch those two first two, three games, you're already thinking about the draft because that's how bad the Jets are. So that's why people are doing that. And I, I, I don't like it either, but I think people are just looking at the base on the current trajectory. A lot of people look at stats and things like that. So I don't like that, but in terms of like what he's actually putting up um, on film is just bad. And, that, and that's, you know, again, considering the weapons around him. So I, I get the whole, okay, well, he doesn't have this guy. He doesn't have that guy. He doesn't have that guy. But when he's a clean pocket and he's missing reads or he's not seeing things pre-snap, could he be coached out of him? Yes. Again, uh, but for me, it has to be undoubtedly he can be not even a not even a decent to good quarterback. He needs to be an elite quarterback for me to skip on Lawrence. I'm not saying Lawrence is a, you know, he's obviously he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm talking about the prospect of him is higher mm-hmm. than anybody in the last you know five ish years. Again, it's it's luck. It's it's Peyton Manning again. I love Donald coming out. Thought he could be a top five guy, but he still not was not as highly regarded as Lawrence, because if he was, he would have been the number one pick, and that's not what he, he obviously was. And there was blips on the radar with, with USC. There was, a, there was a reason that he fell to three. Even though he was supposed to be that first guy, I would have taken him over Baker Mayfield. And I think in Baker Mayfield's position, he would be he would be better than Baker. I think in Josh Allen's position, he would be better than Allen. I think we can give him that. In we can, we can the, give him that. We have the – have, we have everything again, to give him. We have that, 100 that, million. That is, the, that is the argument of yeah. – Donald in 2018 versus Donald now because Donald's not the same quarterback he was a couple of years ago. I know. I, again, I have to eat crow with that too because I thought he could be that guy, and I think in those situations, developing him properly, that he could have been that. But we're three years in, and he's regressed, so he's not. I'm sure the, the worst possible scenario. So, I, I just yeah, hope. No. Yeah, but, I just hope it's like I'm, I hope it's an overanalyzation. I'm not saying you're doing that because you're doing like your job. I'm just hoping that. That's what it is because it's been four games, like I said, in the worst possible scenario. The one thing I wanted to mention is we talk about Andrew Luck. So Andrew Luck's first three years, they made the playoffs. They were fantastic. The roster depleted completely. The offensive line was 
was well, they didn't address the offensive line. The Colts it was very famous, and then the Colts traded the, in 2018 with the Jets. They traded three second round. Uh, the Jets traded three second round picks to the Colts to move up from six to three. The Colts famously took Quentin Nelson and rebuilt their entire team uh, in within those that draft class in the year after. Now the Jets could get double what the Colts did for that. Is is Darnold really unsalvageable because of four games? And we only have like three minutes left on this thing. So, but is Darnold? Is this really it? Is four games with the with sixth string receivers the worst coach in football? Mm-hmm. And, and if perfect storm nonsense, I know if Lawrence Cager is open, what's the difference of him and Perryman? But is it really that enough to to get off this guy? And I'm and I and maybe let's see what your counter is. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know how much long you said three minutes. So I don't know if you guys want to re up this or whatever. But in terms of and and see, this is, this is where we might have the biggest difference. Is you you're coming from the perspective of let's say we're on like we're on the you know same trajectory that we are right now with Donald. Is he unsalvageable? No, I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I think he's plenty salvageable. But I'm saying to skip on Lawrence if we are number one, you have to be undoubtedly a hundred percent sure that he is going to be great. Which could he be? Yes, but I think for anybody to say undoubtedly a 1,000% yes that he is going to be great and skip on Lawrence, I, I think is a mistake. So I don't think it's I don't think it's if. I think it's you have to be – it has to be guaranteed in ink that he is going to be that guy, which, again, you know, could, could he have been year one if he was, if he was surrounded by the, the weapons that Baker was or Josh Allen was or even Mark Sanchez was? I think even rookie years, uh, Donald, we, we go to the Super Bowl uh, versus Mark <laughs> Sanchez. So – you know, I think he could have been that guy. Um, and I think with better roster, better coaching, he would have been. But we have to look at what he was versus what he is now. And, again, it, it's undoubtable. Um, you great quarterback versus, you know, could he be, which I think is a possibility. But I, I'm not saying it's 100%, you know, guaranteed. Yeah, that – I mean, that was perfect. We we had some fun questions in there in the beginning, and we had a very rational, fact-based conversation about what to do with Darnold. Joe, it was an absolute pre- pleasure, my man. Uh, we'll we definitely have you we on soon. we got to do it again. Yeah, we we'll got to do, do it again. We'll, we'll revisit because <laughs> this is like a ton of fun. Round two. <laughs> what an incredible interview with Mr. Blewett. Joe's really good. Joe breaks down all the film uh, or some of the film. Robbie Sabo, our other – you know, another friend of the program does a lot of the film stuff for Jets X Factor uh, and Michael Nanny is over there too. So we enjoy those guys. Just had a little bit of a debate about Sam Darnold. You would have just heard. Uh, so a lot of fun stuff, but we are going to go back and look at the 24, nothing loss to the dolphins on Sunday. Uh, you know, the game happened just, it, you know, Sam didn't play, but the game happened. It happened every Sam Darnold list game is just painful. Uh, obviously, you know the stat they're 0 8 without Darnold since he came into the league, but just the motivation on Sunday, even if the Jets are 0 5, you get to watch your quarterback play, and it's a good feeling. Nothing excites me about watching Joe Flacco and Frank Gore take the field, but the game itself from from kickoff, it just felt like an absolute disaster. Um, Mike, where do you want to start? Because we can get to a lot of things, but I'm exhausted. I, I can't even believe that we are nine and a half point underdogs to Miami, let alone getting blown out 24, nothing. Yeah. So the first half, um, you know, fits through three touchdowns. Uh, the dolphins were moving the ball on us. Defense wasn't great. Um, 
you know, well, the thing about Flacco and Frank Gore is I like veteran players. Mm-hmm. That's I always kind of I I always enjoy that, but and I'm happy to watch. We talked about this in the podcast last week. If the Jets are three and three, or if we're in a similar situation as the Cowboys, you know, where you need a win, you need a, you know, a guy to step in. Like Dak goes down, Sam goes down. I'm happy with Joe Flacco if we're a normal football team, but I don't know. The situation is just not. She's not working. I mean, the Jets, Frank Gore, 11 carries, 46 yards. Uh, couldn't really get Perryman going early in the game. They tried, they tried to throw him a couple deep balls. It looked like he, he – I mean, they came out – they threw like three, four verticals in the first three plays. And then never did it again throughout the entire game. Yeah, it looked like Perryman had some separation, which was nice. Um, so I guess what we have to do now is – is kind of evaluate individual players that could be of importance either with trade value or for the future. So like Avery Williamson had a really good game, mm-hmm. he had 11 tackles and they were all solo tackles, which is pretty cool. Um, so like a team like the Steelers where Devin Bush towards ACL might be interested in a guy like Avery Williamson. Uh, Marcus May had a ridiculous interception, the butt pick. Um Brian Poole had another interception. He's been really good. The Jets' defense played well in the second half. But, man, Matt, the the second half of the game, it was like Gates just kind of just gave up. Like, nothing – didn't do anything. We're not – no pace, no anything. I hate how Gates has now continuously said in press conferences, it's a third down league. I get that. You want to win on third down. But when I watched Patrick Mahomes last night on third and seven – I'm confident he's going to get a first down. Third and three. I'm like, oh, Andy Reid and Biennemi have a play to, to make sure they get a first down here. Just for two and 17 on third down, we get it to third down lead league, but every time I feel like we have third and 12, third and seven. If it's third and four or worse, the odds of us converting, it feels like it's a 10% chance. It's a, it's a terrifying feeling to know that this coach is fine with getting positive yards on first down doing God knows what on second down. And then you have a third down. You just, you have no confidence in your team. Oh, for 19, both teams combined to start the game. Um, when you win time of possession, which I believe it was the first time that Jets have won time of possession this year, you win time of possession. You win the turnover battle. You do, uh, you, you, you let up three points in the second half. If you told me all that before the game, I think the Jets might have pulled out a win here. Instead, 24 nothing. Um, and gr- even though you know the team defense played well in the second half, Greg Williams' first half, guys are running within a 20-yard bubble around them with no one, uh, no Jet in the area. It's just the type of game that we're going to look back on in three years and be like, Jesus Christ, we got shut out by the Dolphins. Fitz Magic without our starting quarterback. It's just a terrible, terrifying feeling. Yeah, I'm gonna have to post Ty Johnson's 34-yard run as a throwback in like 2024 on my whatever the new social media is at that time. <laughs> I just, mean, who do you, who do you root for on this team? Like, who right now, or who played on Sunday? You know, Darnold and Beckton obviously out. We root for them every week. Who on this team are we just we're happy to see make a play? I was happy when you know when Crowder. Anytime Crowder catches the ball is a nice feeling. And you hope that Crowder is back next year. I hope the Jets don't trade him. Um, 
I mean, he's been great. He leads the NFL in targets. He was leading the NFL in yards per game until this week. Still seven catches. Um, like you said, I mean, of course, Sam and Becton, you're going to root for Quinn Williams, who apparently is somehow, you know, maybe they're looking to trade him. Um, but Quinn has a good rush, you know, rush grade this year. But Quinn, the thing with him is if you look at his season and he has two roughing the passers that are, one of them is a face mask and one of them was questionable. He could have four sacks right now. And you look at his season a little bit differently, mm-hmm. you know, he has two sacks, but if he had four sacks through six games, you'd be like, all right, that's what we need. Um, so he's been a little disappointing, but not so not as much so as last year, but I mean, it's hard to evaluate. The defense should be better. The defense, there's not the excuse. Like on offense, there was so many injuries the first four weeks. It's hard to evaluate guys. People are coming back now. Um, like Perryman's back. Hopefully Mims will be back next week. Um, whenever, and then you need Beckton to come back. And then once Sam comes back and he has all the guys around him, we'll, we'll be able to maybe have more of a fair shake and, and see what he can do. Yeah, we're in a weird spot where, you know, Jeff Smith comes back against Denver and everyone's like, oh, we got Jeff Smith back. Like, this is crazy great weapon right, for us. Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith won catch eight yards yesterday. Um, I thought Vincent Smith was going to play better. He was he looked terrible Vincent in special Smith team. Was horrific all across the board. No catches in the game. Costly penalty. Looking completely lost on kick return. It's just a type of game that that obviously we're missing Mims, but we get Perryman back. We get Herndon, obviously healthy with zero targets and what do you have? Forty four snaps. And it's Joe Flacco threw the ball forty four times. And we didn't throw the ball once to Chris Herndon. That's the thing. It's weird. I get that there's times throughout the game that you can't get the ball to him and, and maybe he's kind of shut down. If you are talking all offseason about how he's the focal point of your offense, you need to find ways to get him the ball. There's, there's no more of the game went this type of way. This is how the game went, the flow of the game. I'm tired of all of that. How is P. Ryan getting half the amount of touches as Frank Gore? I, it just it just it doesn't make any sense from a, a future standpoint. It doesn't make any sense of trying to win that game. You, I think Frank Gore lined up in the slot one time. It just what are we doing as an offense? It's an indictment on Gase and it's an indictment on anyone that is in that offensive room that is calling shots because everyone else, let's give Jim Bob Cooter a shot. I don't I don't see why you can't at this point. Zero points against the Miami team. That it's absolutely horrific. Division opponent. Your old team, your team comes out with no fight to them. It's just a garbage, garbage group we have out there. And God damn it, I need Darnold to play next week because I cannot watch this team again without him. We had a drive in the fourth quarter, down 24 nothing. Frank Gore ran for 14 yards. Joe Flacco threw an incomplete pass to Ty Johnson. Frank Gore ran up the middle, ran up the middle, and then we punted. Down 24 nothing. What is that? Why is that? I mean, it's like indefensible things like that. So we have, you know, there are reasons that we hate Adam Gates. We talk about this all the time. There's no reason to blindly hate things or, but it's just very obvious. And it's a little bit, it's, it's super demoralizing as a fan. The entire fan base is, is done. I mean, the fan base is pissed. I don't think I've ever seen the fan base unanimously agree on, on one thing as much as they hate Adam Gates. You kind of had like, 5% 5% of people saying, oh, Gates had no help last year. Everyone got hurt. He's a, he's a good offensive mind. It's 100% Adam Gates is a terrible coach. He needs to be fired. Um, 
obviously that fan base we've talked about, they're frustrated with Christopher Johnson. I'm very frustrated with Joe Douglas, as I've said before. The fact that he has not come out and made a statement yet, I think Manish Mehta put an article out this morning, which I completely agree with. If you're 0-6 and you preached all last year how you had a 6-2 and record down the stretch, this team is not tanking. They're all in on winning games this year. How can you not either step out and give your quarterback some confidence? How are you sitting behind a screen and having a Joe Douglas cam throughout the game of you facepalming the entire time? It just doesn't feel like there's any fight in the locker room, fight in the front office, or fight in the coaching staff. And, and Jets Twitter is rightfully pissed from it. Yeah, and the reason I'm pissed at Douglas is because he didn't do anything to help out his third-year, 23-year-old quarterback. Like I said before, if you – it's not Joe Douglas's fault that the first five guys in the wide receiver depth chart got hurt. But you can do something about that. You can go out and sign Demarius Thomas, who has familiarity, familiarity with the scheme. You can go sign a veteran. You can make a trade early in the season. You don't have to be 0-6 and, and the worst team ever. It doesn't have to happen, you know? And the Jets got, you know, lucky last week. The Giants won and the Falcons won. But – and, you know, everyone's saying, oh, everyone's going to go 0-16, 0-16. I don't think the Jets are going to go 0-16 either. And once Sam comes back and Becton and Fant are going to protect him and you have Mims and Perryman and Crowder, I think the Jets will win a game or a couple games. Um, but, yeah, uh, Joe Douglas, look, I'm, I'm not saying – in the offseason, I was vouching, hey, look, let's go sign Clowney. Let's go do this. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and knock him for not doing that because he probably realized that this team wasn't going to be that great. But to abandon your third-year quarterback and just to recycle the whole, uh, let's get another rookie quarterback and, and to potentially waste the most valued asset in the history of football. This could be the most valuable pick, the number one pick of this year's draft, in the history of sports. And what ideally is the Jets get that pick and then trade it, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to take another quarterback and they're going to take Lawrence if they have that pick. And I, I just disagree with that. And it's very frustrating to me because I don't, I just don't agree with Joe Douglas's philosophy right now. Yeah. But I don't know if he's going to do that. So I, you know. So Mike, we want Adam Gates fired, obviously. Yes. They aren't firing him during this week, it would have happened early this morning or it would have happened Monday at some point. You get the Bills at home, another divisional opponent. Assuming that the Jets lose by two scores, as they have done in every game, and Darnold doesn't play and the Bills just come in after a two-game losing streak and wallop the Jets. You then have to go to Kansas City, top two, top three team in football, and then Patriots in prime time. Then the bye. Is there, a, is there a Christopher Johnson mindset right now that's saying, let's just get to the bye week, and if they lose at least two out of three, probably three out of three, he'll be gone? Because I, as much as I want Gase gone, I'll, I'll, I'll put whatever money down for it to be after any game. Yeah, I don't... Are I they going to do it before the Chiefs game? Like, I feel like that's crazy to give an interim coach going in there. I don't know if they're going to fire him before Sam comes back. Um, I mean, if you were going to fire him based off of you know, demoralization of the locker room or based off of fan, you know, level of upsetness, it would have happened already. Like what, what, like if they watch, I'm sure Christopher Johnson is watching the game on Sunday and it's an embarrassment 
So I guess he doesn't care about being embarrassed these next few games. Maybe they're saying this gives us the best chance to lose. We want that pick. I, I swear I don't know. Like, I mean, I see that on Twitter as like a joke, but I don't know. Is that true? I can't, I can't think it's true. And I've seen that a lot. I've seen, I, I would say dozens of people tweet at me and say, they're going to keep Gage because he gives them the best chance to lose. Every front office, I, I know you can plan a team to tank. No players tank. Every coach coaches to win games because their job is on the line. Every player plays hard because their job is on the line. It is an indictment on Joe Douglas if he starts his career with the Jets of like an, what would it be, 8-25 and 25 record. That matters to Joe Douglas. I don't think Joe Douglas is putting Adam Gase out there. I think the only reason he hasn't fired him yet is continuity and just completely freaking out the franchise. You have no idea what's happening. You're about to play three potential playoff teams in a row. Is it crazy to start that KS before? Maybe that's why Joe Douglas hasn't done it. I also tweeted out, and somehow this is controversial. If Joe Douglas walked into Christopher Johnson's office and said, we have to move on from Gase, they would have done it. And I truly believe that. I don't care about the two-pronged power structure that is very strange regardless, but obviously Gase brought in Joe Douglas, and that's fine. Joe Douglas has a four-year contract, and in the... In one Jets drive and throughout Jets Twitter, everyone loves Joe Douglas. Obviously, we're pretty critical of him, but we, we think he has the right path moving forward. No one has any faith in Adam Gates. That's why if Joe Douglas was like, hey, Chris, we got to start right in the ship here, it would be done. And I think that is an indictment on Joe Douglas as well, the fact that this hasn't been done sooner. Well, the reason why it's what you're saying is probably true is because it's not like that would be the first time anyone heard anything bad about Adam Gates. You know, there's a, there's rumors swirling that he's going to get fired, all these things. So I'm sure at this point, if Joe Douglas, who is much more well-respected than Adam Gase, went to the Jets' ownership and said, hey, f- this guy w- it needs to needs to be gone, I think maybe they would listen to him. We don't really know. I mean, who knows what is going on behind closed doors? And that's another frustrating thing with this organization. It's very, It's not very transparent. It's very, like, weird. And it all stems from, it just goes back to Gase. And it goes back to Joe Douglas not speaking. You know, where is this guy? But usually the the GM will do, you know, like a mid-year kind of recap. Mm-hmm. The um, Isaac one is still an all. I go back and I watch that pretty <laughs> often. I, It's incredible when they were one and seven. Yeah, it's, but it's look, and that year is so much, like, so it was funny. I tweeted out a clip the other day of something from 2014. People are like, oh, I miss Rex. I'm like, yeah, the team went four and 12. Like, people forget. I love Rex, but, you know, they're four and 12. They're, like, competing in games and being kind of normal. You know, you get blown out every once in a while. This year, I mean, this is historically bad. The Jets do have the worst point differential through six games ever, if I'm not mistaken. I know they have the worst of all the unde- of all the defeated teams. Um, so, I mean, it's not really been close. It's just, like, being a dead horse. Um, Steve McClendon is gone. I wanted to touch on that. He's – was a very good Jet since 2016. Mm-hmm. Michael mm-hmm. Nania put out a nice little tribute to him. Uh, he's a good player. He graded out high. His pregame speeches actually meant something. I watched him now. It's, oh, he he was a good leader. I think it was it was a win 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 for everyone. Younger guys get to play more. They just get a little bit of compensation, and McClendon gets to drive two hours to Tampa from you know where the game ended, and and yeah. have a shot to make the playoffs. So I I'm happy for everyone. When you first read it, you're like, oh, shit, is this a fire sale? But maybe that's where we can pivot to next, Mike, is the guys left on the roster, trade or keep. 
because I think there is confidently eight to nine guys that you can argue can be moved before the deadline. So yeah. let's start. The first one and the, probably the biggest one um, is Marcus May. So Marcus May had a better game playing center field and going to the, the normal free safe, safety role. You lose Jamal Adams. You trade for McDougal. You draft Ashton Davis. What would you feel comfortable with going into his contract year, a uh, draft compensation to move off May? And what do you think is more likely to happen? It's got to be a two or a three. It's got to be something high. Um, the, the reason why is the Jets are not starved for assets. The Jets have north of $100 million in cap coming up, so they can easily resign May without having to, you know, maybe Davis will start with McDougal next year. That's what they want. I don't know, but I'd rather have May back there. Um, and you have already 10 draft picks in 2021. So, and what I prefer is to trade the first pick for a boatload of picks. So in that case, we don't really not, you know, there's never, it's not like the Jets don't need extra picks, you know, but from a literal standpoint, am I going to trade one of my best players who I'm, I'm okay with resigning Marcus May. Are we going to trade him for another third round pick when, you know, we could have 15 picks in this next draft. I'd rather not do that. I'd rather keep Marcus May. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If a team doesn't call up with a three or better, I would keep him and try to resign him. He's one of the guys that he's really no nonsense. He doesn't always give you a headline after the loss. It was very easy to get frustrated and freak out. He said, tomorrow's a new day. We're going to get back to the field and get after it. Sometimes you need more of those guys. Uh, Frank Gore obviously was one who was frustrated. Um, following the game I think next we can go to Quinnen Williams and there's been a lot of talk about Quinnen the the Jets refused to move off him last year at the deadline there's rumors that the Jets got offered um, you know pretty high picks definitely a one potentially even another one Uh, I think the Jets wanted to have more play time of of Quinnen he started to spark near the deadline last year so I saw a rumor of the Jets could potentially get a late one and a day three pick for Quinnen, I am still on board with waiting up until the deadline, giving him those two to three more games to get after it. But hey, if he doesn't play well, his value could go down from there. So, Mike, what do you think about potentially moving off of Quinnen after just one and a half years? So, Quinnen has been obviously disappointing. He's graded out better this year. He has that two sack game, like I mentioned before. He had a nut. He has two other sacks that got taken away for penalties. So he's been around the quarterback. I mean, at some point, you have to have a foundation for your team. So if the Jets really are going to break this thing down any more than they already have, it's going to be hard to to find a way to be competitive, you know, next year at the earliest in two years. Mm-hmm. And to trade a 22-year-old guy, you know, is not ideal. But if the Jets get a first-round pick and something else for this guy, at some point, you know, you have to listen to it. If they do it, I'm not going to – like last year if they just traded Quinn, I would have been upset. I said you had to give him more time, more time, more time, more time. I agree with you. I'd like to wait as long as we possibly can because he's been okay this year, Quinn. He's but again, he's out not, very high in the run game. The run game, but he's, he's not – doesn't look dominant. You want – I mean, the third pick of the fucking draft, you want like a sick killer maniac. Like it just hasn't been – it just really hasn't been that. So – um, if the Jets go out and trade Quinnen for a first and a third round pick, am I going to be devastated? No. Would I keep him? Okay. Yeah, and another big thing about Quinnen is 
that getting picked third overall, I think he's already the seventh highest paid jet on the roster. So it's pretty fascinating to see already that, that cap room getting eaten up uh, quick hits before uh, we wrap up Crowder and pool two guys that have been um, regarded in potential trades before the deadline. You can make the argument, not even that hard to make that those are the best two players on either side of the ball for the jets right now. I think pool, even though I want to keep him is more likely than Crowder. If you get rid of Crowder, your offense is depleted and it would be garbage. But Poole has been on fire in the slot. I would love to keep both. I don't think anything is going to come our way for a day one or day two pick for either of them. Um, but want to see what you think. Well, Brian Poole is on a one-year deal, so it makes right. more sense to trade him. Crowder's locked in for 2021. I'm not touching Crowder, especially for the point that the, the, the point that you made. So the Jets already have released a healthy Hall of Fame running back in Le'Veon Bell. If they're at all serious about evaluating Sam Darnold at all serious gotta keep Crowder you cannot put Sam out there with Brashad Perryman Vincent and Jeff Smith Braxton Berrios and Chris Herndon and Frank Gore and be like hey go win the job for next year you just cannot do that you have to give the guy something Mm -hmm. I mean the fact that we're begging for Jamison Crowder to be our number one guy is very disturbing at this point of Sam's career but we have to do it I would be very, very disappointed if the Jets trade Crowder. Michael Nania also made a great point. He said that it looks like going into 2021, you have at least two very, very, you can call them elite players at their position in Mekhi Becton and Jamison Crowder, as Jamison Crowder is an elite slot receiver. I'm not moving him, but if you move Brian Poole, sure. I mean, the Jets could just re-sign him anyway in the offseason, you know? Yeah, I agree. Other names, quick, Chris Herndon, I hate. I heard. No, what, don't trade him as lowest exactly. value. You, you can't trade him now. Avery Williamson, you brought up earlier. Um, I think Avery will get traded if mm-hmm. I mean or move. That's in some capacity. Absolutely, Henry Anderson. And, we wish Henry Anderson. If you, I would give up a pick to just not see his face on Sundays anymore. And then Jordan Jenkins, another guy in a one-year deal that said, uh, if team needs a run stopper, outside linebacker, trading a sixth or seventh round pick. I don't know. Meh, it's just another guy who's like a good locker room guy. At some point, again, like it's probably not worth it. Is it worth it? Like, I would argue no. I argue that, you know, at some point too, like all the younger guys are playing. Like Bryce Huff had a, sa- a sack last week. Hopefully we get to see some Zuniga. It's not like Jordan Jenkins plays 92% of the snaps. He plays about half the time. That guy is a great guy. He tries hard in practice. He's good for, you know, he's a solid player, but I wouldn't move him either. Now, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. Is the deadline after eight or nine? Because I think it's after week eight. All right. So I'm thinking if the Jets are 0 and 8, which they are a combined 35 point underdogs for those two games combined, 13 point underdogs against the Bills, projected 22 point underdogs against the Chiefs. Man. Going into those two, if you're 0 and 8, then playing the Patriots on a, a primetime game, I think everything's on the table that we talked about. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, 0-8 teams don't make the playoffs. So at that point, do you punt and move on to next year? Knowing the Jets, they're probably going to win six out of their last two, and we have to hear about it for the next five months. But, Mike, good episode. Anything you want to leave with? No, I mean, it's 
fun talking with Joe about Sam Darnold and other things and just hopefully Sam gets back on the field soon. I don't think Sam is going to play this week after listening to him uh, talk on the Michael K show. Hey man. We I really don't. I mean, I don't I'm not in the building. I don't know, but I mean, I we found out last Wednesday about it and I said, "Geez, you have to wait till next Sunday now." And then it continues on. I think we're almost 20 days removed from that Thursday night game, so damn. We got to watch our guy play. Dude, we don't ask for much. We're literally own sick. We just want to watch our guy play football. So, hopefully yeah. soon. That's it. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back potentially later this week for episode 13, and we'll talk to you.